Heavenly Father, I'm just coming to you again, Lord, knowing that, Lord, we have the blessing of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I'm just asking for that blessing to be bestowed on this place this morning. Lord, that you would give us truly eyes to see your words, but Lord, a heart to receive them, a heart to, to be encouraged by them and transformed from them. Lord, so we ask these things in your wonderful son's name. Amen. Um, well, we're continuing on with our sermon series, the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 6, so you can turn with me there. Um, I, I don't know about you guys. I've kind of dig Pastor Eric being up here and, and doing the stool thing. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I'm probably going to fall on my face at some point this morning. So you've got full permission. You may laugh at me if that happens. Just before you laugh, just check, make sure I'm breathing or something like that. All right, I got a bad back. So, um, so we're in Matthew chapter 6. You guys can flip to, uh, to 6, and we're going to pick up in verses 19. And just a couple of verses, short one this morning, but talking about our treasure, our treasure. And so I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I got to talk to the guy who puts the sermons together and the scheduling of it because I keep landing on these ones that these aren't anybody's favorite because we're talking about money this morning. And I'm the guy that actually does the schedule. So I can really only be mad at myself with this one. We're talking about treasure, though, not just money, but our treasure. Where is that rooted? What are we storing up? Where are we orienting our hearts in that? And Jesus hits these right in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not, it's not necessarily a fun thing to start going over. And, and, and you might have the propensity, we we're talking in the, uh, the volunteer huddle this morning about how sometimes you get into a sermon series and you can start to, man, there's some really good things coming out of it, but man, you know, life just starts happening and you could tend to hit the cruise control button and you see the title of this one and you go, I think I might hit the cruise control button this morning. These aren't really like super fun words. I encourage you, be challenged by them. We need these words this morning. Um, you know, one of the things when I think about um, investments, right? You start talking about money. Often, when people start talking about those things, they go to the experts, right? If you're not sure about something, then you're definitely going to want to consult an expert. And one of the premier experts in investments and what to do with your money is Warren Buffett. I mean, multi-billionaire, I think his net worth is something around over $74 billion. That's a B, billion dollars. That's a stupid amount of money for a person to have. Like, there's a lot of money, and then there's a stupid amount. If it starts with B, it's, that's dumb. He's got a lot of money. So when he talks about like, investing, what you should do, how you should grow your wealth, man, people listen. I mean, they, they stop and they hear everything that he says. And not only that, they actually will do what he says because he's the expert. I mean, you can, uh, now one of the really popular things in investing are these, uh, they call them robo-investors. You can put your money in account, and the computer algorithm will essentially pick your investments for you. And one of the crazy things is you can actually, in a lot of these apps, you can pick that that 
robot that selects your investments will model all of the trades and all of the investing just like the expert Warren Buffett. So you could have the same portfolio and investing style and everything that Warren Buffett does. That's fantastic, but nobody's got billions though, right? I mean, he, he puts a lot more money in than all of us. But that's, that's what happens when you're consulting and you want to go after an expert. Well, I want to challenge us this morning, right, as we're talking about really where our treasure is rooted, and we get into some weighty things because our treasure and where it's rooted ultimately has eternal implications I want to press you that we really need to have ears to hear what Jesus is saying because he's the expert on eternity. You guys get that, right? I mean, you know that, right? right, One, let's just see what qualifies him. One, he's perfect. That's a really good qualifier for being an expert in something is be perfect. Okay. The other thing is um, he exists through eternity, so he is eternal. That's another great qualifier for being an expert on eternity, right? So his words should carry a massive amount of weight. But maybe you're like me. I don't know about you, but I know all these things. I mean, who knows those things about Jesus, all right? I'm not being dumb, okay? Seriously, we know these things, right? So why don't, why don't we give him the kind of weight all the time with his words like people do with Warren Buffett in investing. I'll be honest with you. On a day in, day out basis, sometimes I struggle with truly knowing and feeling the weight that I need to with God's word. And ultimately, it's pointing to a problem in my life of where sin has created brokenness and fractured things. And sin, it does three things. We're going to see that sin has three massive impacts as we look at the word this morning. It distorts, right? So it distorts how we see things. It disrupts the system that we should operate in. And sin also devalues what should have ultimate value. So look at, we, at, at uh, Matthew 6 with me. And now we're, uh, again, verse 19. So I want to read through the whole thing, just through verse 24. And then it's in three sections. So we're going to just deal with those three sections. So Jesus is still preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, And where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness In verse 24, no one, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. No one, you cannot, no one here, you cannot serve God and money. So jump back up. The first two, he says, 
Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. And we kind of, that's... That seems pretty simple. It's a simple instruction. Look, don't do this because if you try to store these things up, man, they're not going to last. Rust corrodes. You don't have good metal if rust gets a hold of it. It corrodes, it brittle, it breaks apart. If you look at my truck, there's some rust and it looks really bad. <laughs> it's, rust is not good. You ever pull something out and the moths have gotten to it, man, and then all of a sudden, like, your sweater looks like a piece of Swiss cheese? It's destroyed. It's, it's, it's of no value at that point in the end if you are building wealth, if you're building your treasure for things that are supposed to be here on earth. So he says, rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Or simple. But see, it's a really simple choice. I mean, if you're given those two choices and someone's teaching you this, especially an expert, right? We all go, well, duh, yeah, you, you definitely, you pick heaven, right? You, you pick up the value of investing in heaven and investing in eternity. I, there's nobody in here that's going to tell you the wrong answer on that. Everyone gets 100% on that test. But then there's always this problem of like practically walking that out. And I got to be honest with you, there's so many times in my life where I start, I know that, I'm walking that out, and sin, left unchecked in my life, distorts my vision, it distorts the vision of that choice. I love, Jesus is going to kind of reassure different parts in the New Testament. Um, you, can, you can turn with me or you cannot turn with me. I kind of just want to read through some things, some other areas of where Jesus, the expert, again, is sharing. And he's not just going to preach this, but he's going to give some real examples for us to consider the weight of his words. And, and one of those we start off with in Luke 16. Luke 16, and he gives this story of the rich man in Lazarus. Okay, and so he talks about, he's gonna give us a person who has built their wealth, who has placed their treasures in the earthly realms. And so I'm just gonna kind of read through this quickly. You can either listen to me or follow along. If you wanna mark it, that's fine. In verse 16, or chapter 16 in Luke, at verse 19 rather, he's talking, he says, there was a rich man. He was clothed in purple and fine linen. So that's a real obvious sign he was a very wealthy guy not he didn't just have a little bit of treasure on earth he had a lot of bit of treasure on earth okay and he feasted sumptuously every day and at his gate there was laid a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table moreover with sores he was filled with sores even the dogs came and licked the sores. The poor man died, and he was carried by angels to Abraham's, Abraham's side. And the rich man, he also died, and he was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And we have a guy who had all of his treasures on earth. 
He had oriented his life towards these treasures. His heart was placed in these treasures. And we know now he's in Hades and he's looking towards heaven. He's seeing the other side. And he calls out, verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue from in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us, And you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to there may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And here he said, then I beg of you, Father, then send him to my father's house. I have five brothers so that they may be warned lest they also come into this place of torment So he's saying, okay, I'm done. I put everything of my investing in earth. I chased after everything here. And he's realizing the hardest way is that there's no second chances if you orient your life towards building your wealth and your money here. If it's all about life's accumulation for you here on earth. It's not like you're going to go, wow, I messed that up. God's going to give me a second chance when it's all said and done. So he says, all right, then send them, send them to my brothers. At least tell them because they're doing the same thing. They have the same orientation of trying to accumulate their wealth here. This is hard. Verse 31, and he said to him, so, so Aram replies, but he said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He's saying they've got God's word. They should hear God's word on this. They should listen to the expert. He says, but No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Where is your treasure? Jesus is hitting these words not because we need to be torn down. And look, there's nothing wrong with having a job, making money, right? Investing and saving. Those are, those are good things. We need those things. But there's a problem when your drive is focused on those things alone. That your heart desires those things over God. Over his word. Over his way. When it's distorted, sin left unchecked will distort your view of what God's saying here. He's going to distort, the sin will distort this value of ultimately what worth should be placed in, either on heaven or here on earth. These words, he's preaching these words, you've got to remember this. 
Jesus isn't just the expert, but he is the loving expert. He's saying these words not just because they are the actual best thing for us to hear. These are transform us words. Words that are ultimately there to transform us because he knows he's eternal. He perfectly knows what satisfaction is. Complete, full satisfaction with God is. And he knows that if your treasures are rooted here and on earth, then you can't be fully satisfied walking with God. You just can't. It won't happen. Matthew Henry says it best. Now Christ's designs are not to deprive us of our treasure, but rather they are to direct us in the choice of it. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in this. He's not trying to strip, of, strip us of treasure. He's not trying to strip us of good, but rather he's trying to orient us in the choice of what is the best value, what is the ultimate satisfaction. So then he carries on. We'll jump back into Matthew now. Back in chapter 6. And this is, kind of a, this is kind of an odd turn, right? We go from talking about treasure, about money, and, and that makes sense. As he starts off about it. But then right here in the middle, he starts talking about light and darkness. It doesn't seem to make much sense. So in verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great, how great is the darkness? What ultimately Jesus is doing, he's moving from this is the absolute value you need to choose from, and then he's also now commenting on, look, this is the system of how it should work, of how it should work. Just like sin left unchecked in our lives if we're unwilling to deal with it, if we're unwilling to kind of hand the things that we struggle with over to him, if we're unwilling to hand over the things that are countercultural to what God has put in his word, not only is it going to devalue, it's also going to disrupt the system that God has put in place. We were meant to walk in the light, right? When you walk in the light, you're not gonna bump into things. You're gonna see things coming, you're going to see the pathway that you should take. But if you start turning off the lights, the darker it gets, like you ever get up in the middle of the night and try to make your way to the bathroom? It's inevitable that you, okay, I do, all right, two of us actually have small bladders, all right? I can't tell, I've, I've lived in my house for several years now, and I know the way to get there, but even when it's dark, man, I, uh, it just, the darkness disrupts my system for getting to the bathroom, and I run into all kinds of stuff. And then there's this giant brown dog that lays in the way every night that is trying to take my life, and I just want to go to the bathroom. That's all funny, except I actually get pretty angry bumping into things, right? And we do the same thing. 
We get so mad at life when the darkness starts to set in and we start bumping into things. And you know what? It hurts when you run into something. I run into the wall. It hurts. And we start getting mad. I get mad at the wall. Okay, this is the, all right, this is dumb. But I'm not lying to you. I've run into the wall and I have pushed the wall like I was going to do something. See, when we do the same thing, we are okay leaving sin alone in our life. And so we start bumbling and fumbling through the darkness and we start bumping into things and getting mad. And what do we do? We don't seek and consult following God's way in the light. We just get mad that it's dark. But yet we don't want to deal with the sin that's causing the darkness. We just seem okay bumping around in the night. And so Jesus is laying this in, and and he actually, he says in John 3, 19, he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. He's talking about himself. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And that's my problem. Jesus has come into the world. He has laid out. He's given us his word. He's saying, this is the pathway that I've laid out for you. And it works. If you walk this out, if you listen to my word, if you're devoted to that, and you have closeness with me, but we tend to love the darkness. We love it so much that we're willing to, to point our finger at the blame and going, you know, it'd be fine. I could do it my way if it were just not as dark. And the problem is, is in all of these instances, you notice Jesus isn't leaving a middle road. You know, with treasures on heaven and treasures on earth, he didn't leave a middle road for us to choose and go, you know, you can kind of have both. As long as you've got, you know, it's not like stocks. Like, as long as you've got some stocks and some bonds, you've got a good portfolio. You know, he's not saying, look, as long as you've got a little bit here invested in heaven, you can invest some in earth and you're fine. There's no middle road option there. He's not saying, look, you can walk in a little bit of darkness. As long as you turn the nightlight on, you're fine. He's not giving a middle road option. Because he knows that even the little bit of darkness is going to disrupt us being able to follow his way. And so he puts this in there. Even uh, David says this in Psalm 19, verse 10. You don't have to turn there. He says, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And then in 19, here's where he connects the eyes being this pathway of letting in the light. He says, I have fixed my eye on all your commandments. He's saying, look, my mind, my heart are oriented towards God's way. They're oriented towards God's way. Now, You can hear these words, and you could straight up hear them, and you can ignore them. They cannot carry any weight for you, right? They cannot matter. But that could be you. I'm not going to lie to you. It could be you. I'm imagining it's probably not because you're all sitting here in church. 
So, so God's word must matter some, some little bit. But let me tell you, you might be like me, and this is the scary part. The scary part is the fact that maybe you hear these words, you hear what Jesus says, and you're neutral to it. You're a little bit numb when you hear them. Because it's easier, it's easier to deal with pain if you're kind of numb towards it. Right? So when you go to the doctor, man, they're going to numb you up before they start doing some work. That dentist better give me a shot of numbness before he starts working on my teeth or else it's going to be a knocked out dentist. God doesn't work in that equation. We can't be numb to these words. We've got to feel the full weight of what sin left alone in our life does to move away from it and desire his way, right? And here's the thing. I think that's probably one of Satan's greatest ploys. If I can make you like what you have here on earth in my kingdom just enough, you'll be numb towards God's kingdom, that numbness, he's just sitting there stamping passports every time someone just kind of shows up to God's word and they're numb to it. He's just stamping passports for his kingdom. It's one of his greatest ploys. That's why Jesus shared about the rich man and Lazarus. Man, if you punch your passport to Satan's kingdom, there's no going back in the end. It's not going, oh, I didn't. I actually, God, I changed my mind. I don't really want to travel there. Can I change my answer? So if that's an unhealthy eye, an unhealthy eye is one that, that chooses, right, Satan's kingdom, that's numb to the word, that wants the things of this world, that doesn't see an accurate value of them. What's a healthy eye look like? Because Jesus just kind of goes, look, it's either light or it's darkness. You either have a healthy eye or an unhealthy eye. And I actually like what John Piper says. I think he has a great explanation for what it looks like to have a healthy eye. And I know that that's really, really small because it's, it's a big paragraph. So I'll read it for you. It says, you have a good eye if you look at master money and master God and see master God is infinitely more valuable in other words, a good eye is a valuing eye. It's a discerning eye. It's a treasuring eye. It doesn't just see facts about money and God. It doesn't just perceive what is true and false. It sees beauty and ugliness. It senses value and worthlessness. And it discerns what is really desirable and what is undesirable. The seeing of the good eye is not neutral. When it sees God, it sees God as beautiful. It sees God as desirable. And it's above anything else. Jesus doesn't prescribe what to do to get a healthy eye. But, but I have a great friend, and I just love just his reminder going through life even the last couple of months, there's just some hard choices. And, and I'll be honest with you, I was struggling. I, I wasn't 
seeking after the world, but I, I just was really cautious in the steps that I was taking. I didn't want to try to be operating with the nightlight on. And, and my friend was just like, you just have to take everything and you put it before God and you got to let the light shine on it. You've got to continually hold it up to God's word and make sure that the light is shining brightly on the steps that you're taking. And, and in 1 John, I'll read this for you, verses 5 through 7. I think it's a practical application of what my friend was saying. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, with while we walk yet in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Sin cannot cling to you if you are close with following God's way. If you are following after him, and that means this, being in this, being in the word, and that's important. And look, Man, we've had some tough conversations this week, and I'm not going to lie to you. I love being in God's Word, but if you think that I show up every morning and I read God's Word, and it's just this wonderful thing every morning, doves fly out of my living room, man, and there's music and there's angels singing, like, no. There's a lot of mornings where I come to this, and I'm just dry. I'm just there with my Bible, and I'm drinking coffee, and that's all that happens. That's me being real with you. But I know I need it every single day. I'm going to keep coming to this well every single day. And I can, I've walked through enough dry spots in my short life to know that God, if you keep coming to the well, he will bring satisfaction. But it's not just coming to the word. I, Pastor Eric talked last week about you know, something that we've been doing just for the last two weeks. I wish I could sit here and say, man, it's just been such this long stream of prayer every morning in my life. It has not. I, I show up here in my office, and I am so good at doing other things. But for the last couple of weeks, we just walk right in, and we just pray. And I got to be honest, the first week was really quiet. I, I don't even know what to say. So you're just quiet before the Lord. So you need God's word, but you also just need to be quiet with him, talking to him. And I love what Pastor Eric said, and I don't know if he got it from Dallas Willard or whatever. We'll give him some credit, all right? But, but the, the orienting part of prayer comes when, not when you're just throwing stuff at God, but when you're saying, God, I want, what do you want me to do? I just want to do Something with you. That's what I want to do. Man, and praying that over this last week has been such, man, an orienting part of being in a system that God has designed that's not disrupted by sin when you're saying, Lord, I, it, it ain't, it's not even about my agenda. It's about our agenda. What can I do with you? Where can I go with you today? What can I focus on with you today? You start spending some time in God's word and some quiet, and I promise you, and sin cannot cling to you at that point. 
The darkness can't do anything but run from your life when you're willing to be close with God. The last thing he says, and he gets real, real plain, and he asks the question basically, who are you serving? The last verse in 24, it says, no one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one or he'll love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen to this. You cannot serve God and money. You can't. So again, we see that it's impossible to be in the middle here. It's impossible. No one can do it. There's never been a successful person that's navigated that I've got God and I've got money and we're good here. Jesus gives another example, and it's in Luke 18, if you want to mark it and come back and look at it. But, but let me just give you the brief overview of this example. He's talking about the rich ruler. The rich ruler comes to Jesus, and he says, how can I be in heaven with you? That's basically what he says. I want eternity. And Jesus tells him, he goes, look, you've just got to keep the commandments of the word. Love your father and mother. Be devoted to the word. That's what he tells him. That's his answer, is live my way. And so then... It gets even better. The rich ruler goes, well, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that since my youth. I followed your word, right? I'm good. So I'm going to get eternity. I'm going to have my investment in him. And then Jesus goes, look, if you really want it, go and sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and then just come and follow me. And it says that the, the rich man was broken and sad. Because he had great wealth. And he doesn't, he doesn't follow after him. And Jesus talks very clearly in that passage about how hard those that are oriented towards building their treasure here on earth, how hard it is for the rich person to make it into heaven. How hard it is. It's harder than a camel going through the eye of a needle, he comments. You've got to look at that rich man. Man, he had so many things going for him, right? And, and you might go, well, Pastor Todd, I'm not wealthy. I'm not like him. I don't have those, those pools like he did. Man, I, I would give it all up and follow Jesus. Look at some of the things in his life. He's got the first thing right. He wants Jesus. He wants eternity. If you measure up earth and you measure up heaven, no one's picking earth. Everyone's picking heaven, right? So all of us are sitting in the same boat that the rich man was and that we want eternity. We want a good afterlife with Jesus. So we're all coming to Jesus with the same thing. How do I get there? How do I have that kind of wealth? And it also points to something else. That man was so rich, but yet he still wanted eternity. So do you really think that his wealth was ultimately satisfying? Got to read between the lines a little bit. The second, notice the response when his earthly riches are put on the line, his treasures. And maybe, maybe you don't have great gobs of money. I, I certainly don't. But where the struggle is, is if Jesus comes to you and say, trust me with your treasure, let that earthly treasure go and grab a hold of heavenly treasure. Invest in that. 
are you gripping tightly like the rich man when he tries to pull it away from you, right? You know, here's my treasure. And Jesus goes, let me have that and trust me. And you're like, mm. <laughs> I don't know about that, Jesus. He had become a slave to his money. It was his master. It dictated, it dictated everything for him. Even to the point that it devalued, it devalued the ultimate value of eternity with heaven and Jesus and being with God. It seems impossible to wrap this up on a good note, right? <laughs> Thanks for that message, Pastor Todd. You've told me that my treasure should be in heaven. I get that. And then you tell me there's darkness. And now you've got the same guy that I'm very similar with. And now all of a sudden... It seems impossible. And that's exactly how they responded to Jesus after he tells them of the rich man. He even says in it, it's in Luke 18, right at the end of verse 26 and 27, they ask him, then who can be saved? What are we supposed to do, Jesus? If it's impossible for him, <laughs> it's gotta be impossible for us. And I love Jesus' response. What's impossible with man it's possible with God. What's impossible with man is possible with God. I'm not going to shortchange it. If you are going to be okay with sin being left alone in your life, or even go, I'm going to let God deal with all these things, but he's not going to touch this thing, or I'm not going to let him have the full depth of the issue here. And look, and I'm gonna be honest with you. If you've been here the last few weeks, if we've, as we've been in Sermon on the Mount, I've heard story after story of finding out that there is undealt with, unresolved stuff in our lives. It's hit me. I've had to look and go, I'm not angry. I don't have any unresolved sin of anger. And then all of a sudden I find there's, there's one or two people in my life, it doesn't matter what they do, I'm so angry at them. And Jesus is going, yeah, that's unresolved. And if you don't think that that's darkness clinging to you, you're believing a lie. And if you think that, you know, he hits this lust and he goes, man, if you think that you can just kind of dabble in lusting after things in this world and that you're going to be okay, you're living a lie. And so the truth is, is look, we've all got stuff that is clinging to us. So you can't leave even an ounce of that and think that it's not going to distort, devalue, and disrupt what God's word says to your heart. And if you think that you can deal with it on your own, that's the biggest lie of all. And that's exactly what communion is. It's exactly why we have to come to the table and lay these things down before him. Today, you might, 
you might need to let the sin, whatever it is, have its, have Jesus have his full way with you. That's distorting things. Maybe it's distorting where your treasures are. You might need to let Jesus have his full way with you on correcting and shining the light where you need to actually take some steps because it's disrupting the system of being able to walk with him closely. You might need to lay the things down finally and once of all that have caused you to devalue and become a slave to the things of this world, to money or whatever it is. Because ultimately in the end, you know, I think about this and I'm gonna close with this thought. You know, People thought when, when people were throwing gobs of money, right, at Bitcoin and some of those things, that's a dumb investment. Everyone in the investment world thought those people throwing gobs of money at it were dumb. And then a couple years ago, it spiked. And this little investment that they thought was worthless became the ultimate value. But you know what? Here's the greatest thing about that. If you start seeking after and investing in God, people are gonna look at you the same way. They might think that you are crazy for being fully invested and in relationship with God. They might think that you are totally crazy to hand these things, these sins, over to him and trust him with it. But there's going to be a day where it's gonna be shown what the ultimate value is, having invested in heaven. And unlike Bitcoin, heaven ain't gonna crash. It will never lose its value if you're invested fully in God's kingdom. Let's pray. God, there is there's no doubt, Lord, that, that you've said in your word that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that, Lord, if we allow it, it is going to carve away at our hearts. It is going to dissect our lives, God, and it's going to pull out some things that, God, we need to give over to you. Lord, I pray that we would, that we would let you do your work, that we would remain close to your word. Lord, that we would remain close to you in prayer. But God, that also we would remain close in fellowship, Lord, with other people walking in the light, Lord, that we would be in discipleship with them, Lord, that we would hear hard things so that ultimately, God, we could be invested in you in the greatest thing. Lord, so as we come to your table, Lord, would you orient our hearts as they are needed. Father, I thank you and I praise you in your son's name. Amen.